are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you making up? I am doing well, Jeff, and you? I'm doing okay, too. I think my radio voice is particularly good today because I have the worst cold I've had in like a year. So it can get you down to a different yeah. level of yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, unlike me. I'm just going to bring it down tonight. You don't know where you are or where you're driving, but uh, <laughs> no. Um, well, look, I, I got to say, I'm really excited about today's guest. Um, it's often uh, that we're, uh, I, we love our American friends and we love uh, working with American clients and interviewing American guests, but it is always nice to feature a fellow Canadian firm on the yeah. uh, show. Yeah. So joining us today is Murray Bain from Stanpak, based in Ontario, Canada. And uh, Murray is the VP Marketing. Welcome to the Ghoul Ring, Murray. Well, thank you very much. Good to be here. Fantastic to have you, Murray. Why don't we start by uh, introducing our listeners a bit to Stan Pack and your role in history with the firm, just to ground us uh, our conversation in that. Certainly. Well, Stan Pack, as you mentioned, is a, uh, a manufacturing company. We're um, our home base is in Smithville, Ontario, which is in uh, the Niagara region, about a half an hour from Niagara Falls. The uh, we do um, today, of course, um, have a number of different locations in New Jersey and Texas and Mexico um, as far as uh, manufacturing and warehousing. Uh, however, our roots go back to uh, Burlington, Ontario. Uh, the company was formed in 1949 and was a, a part of a large um, packaging conglomerate, Standard Packaging, and it made milk bottle caps that uh, the old paper plug caps that go in a glass milk bottle. So that's, uh, that's our humble beginnings, and uh, the uh, Witt family owns the business. It's a privately held business. Um, Steve Witt, the founder, um, purchased the company in 1971, and it was, in, uh, again, in, in Burlington, and there were two employees at the time. The, uh, so from that and then up to today, we're, we're uh, just a shade over 700 employees, so a fair bit of growth over the years. That is a remarkable growth story. <laughs> no kidding. So we, um, so Steve moved the uh, the uh, company in uh, two years later to Smithville, which is a just a, a kind of a, a rural community um, in Niagara, and uh, we've just kept adding different products and and uh, and equipment and people through the years um, to where we are today, which is um, primarily ice cream packaging is is a large component of our business, but we also um, have stayed, you know, to our to our roots and and produce um, everything that you would need to to uh, have a glass refillable milk bottle. Um, we have the bottles made for us. However, we print on the bottles. We manufacture the the caps and closures. We have cases. We have pretty much. Well, I guess our our motto used to be for that business and still is today. Everything but the milk. <laughs> nice. I think, look, uh, for our listeners, I feel that there are, there are a lot of areas where we could really dive into here to uh, help, um, I guess, in, in, just inform the, the marketing dialogue. I, I think that there's a number of, there are a number of things happening from an external uh, perspective and just kind of societal perspective that um, in, in particular impacts packaging manufacturers, but others as well. Uh, that I think some of those dynamics are interesting to explore, and, and as well the the kind of you, you, how how you've had to respond to an evolving marketplace. So, 
I think uh, for our listeners trying to wonder where is this conversation going, <laughs> uh, I'm telling. I, I'm here to tell you that I I, I think we want to just provide some some insight into the marketing thinking and expertise that has gone into um, leading the charge at Stanpac over the last while uh, in the face of a number of these things. And, and first and foremost in that, I think, for packaging manufacturers is the uh, heightened sensitivity and awareness uh, surrounding the environment. Um, it's interesting, of course, that um, politically is about the only place where there is a debate around climate change. I think most people otherwise uh, take it to be true and understand the science that powers that uh, understanding and knowledge. And they also, um, and packaging manufacturers for a long time have been sensitive to that, packaging often being held up as a as a part of waste uh, in, in product delivery in some way, shape, or form. We've seen that recently in Canada, for instance, around uh, cannabis packaging being a, a, a very a hot topic, the, uh, people thinking that, uh, it's uh, it's very wasteful. Um, so, from an uh, environmental standpoint, Murray, you, you face these pressures, but then at the same time, uh, my guess is is that the customer base hasn't always been as keen to to vote with their wallets around uh, around those more environmentally progressive choices. Is that accurate? Um, that's that's very true. Um, it is changing uh, with you know both large and smaller um, users or, or, you know, the, the multinationals as well as, as local manufacturers. Um, they're, you know, the consumers are, are making, you know, choices on, you know, smart, smarter or what they perceive to be as, as better packaging options. And uh, manufacturers are, are starting to listen. Um, it's, it, it's, it's complicated, and I think for a number of years, uh, folks have decided, you know, not to address it because th their main concerns were, you know, shelf life, perhaps of a of a package, and keeping their product um, fresh as long as possible. Um, you know, taste and flavor and nutrient profiles to ensure that they, you know, when they create a product, that it it stays the same. So you know, some complex packaging. Um, materials were needed to in order to achieve that and 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 they thought that that was what was most important well consumers now are are, are changing you know changing that and saying yes we you know we want the product to be consistent and taste good but also we have to make sure the packaging is uh you know not harming the environment or contributing to um, you know any of the environmental issues that we've been talking about Maybe I'm naive to ask this, but I, I wonder how how much of that sales conversation is changing as a result of evolving consumer demand, and how much of it is changing just based upon the people having the conversation. Is the are the people buying your products today just on, on a personal level more environmentally aware, and is that driving some of that behavior, or is it simply purely response to consumer? You know that's a that's a good question, and I don't think I have a clear answer on that. But I, I do know that you know customers and prospects are asking you know are asking those questions. I would I would suggest that um, you know younger generations are, are certainly it's more on their radar. So if you're working with people 
um, you know, in the in that part of the business that happened to be younger, then yes, I think it's on their checklist. It, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that there's lots of talk about um, the emerging digital native millennial, what have you, B2B buyer and changing kind of uh, digital expectations and experiences. But uh, I think those expectations and experiences that, that, that those expectations that change are, are beyond are, are move beyond just the digital. I think it's, it also impacts things like, uh, like frankly, environmental sensitivity. For sure. Um, and I'm also just in looking at your your business from the outside looking in, you know, whether it be on the you know, wine and spirit side of things or even on the milk side of things, um, it seems like there must be a migration to dealing with many more uh, niche local providers of these things. There just seems to be an explosion in the in the buy local uh, category in all those spaces. There is, and, and there's more of a crossover now than, than, than any time in, in my memory as far as the, the dairy industry with the, you know, the number of local dairies that uh, there are compared to, you know, 10 or or 20 years ago, as well as, you know, wine, um, spirits, um, beer, um, just in our area alone, there are, there are hundreds combined when there might've been one or two, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So it does make it quite interesting. And all the, all the, uh, you know, the packaging, everyone, everyone wants, um, their package to tell their story and, and to represent their brand, of course. So you're seeing, you know, many variations on the theme. So it's interesting as a, as a packaging manufacturer to be able to, uh, respond and, 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 uh, you know, provide so many different, you know, treatments and options, um, so that they can all be individual. It must also be challenging, however, to have a similar cost of sale associated with what was probably a much smaller order quantity over time. That's true. However, you know, folks are willing to pay, you know, what's necessary for, for their package and smaller quantities do carry higher costs and, you know, longer setups and, and you know, um, there are, are so many... The, so many costs that whether you're doing a hundred packages or a million packages that are, you know, are the same. So it does end up um, costing more, but I think in the marketplace, you see that it, uh, you know, people will pay a premium for something local or they, they know where it's made or they can see where it's made and they'd rather support their neighbor than somebody in a different, um, you know, country. For sure. And I think too, I mean, related to that and perhaps shifting gears a, a little bit on this, you know, a lot of the products that Stanpak creates um, can be purchased on their own without any customization or anything like that as well. How did you see the opportunity for those very low volumes and kind of look to open an e-commerce store for people who may just be looking for some coffee cups or, or bottles um, directly? Well, we we stumbled on that quite. I'd like to say that we planned and we spent a lot of money trying to figure it all out, but we we stumbled on it, <laughs> and it worked it worked quite well. Um, as um, smaller uh, users and people that are are perhaps in startups or, or you know mom and pop type shops, um, we're looking for our products. Um, they would call our office, and we have uh, you know quite a group of, of customer service people that uh, one of the things that, that 
does separate us from um, the rest is is we do a lot of one on one conversations with our customers. If somebody calls our our office, um, they'll be you know picked up on the on the first ring and um, they'll have a conversation with the person. And we have quite a you know quite a, a large customer base, so we have quite a few customer service people. But what was happening is um, your know, customer service person is assigned to a, a, a customer list, a certain group of customers, perhaps by geography. And when other folks would come in um, who haven't purchased from us before, there are lots of questions, and there, there's many different products, and it, it requires a bit of a conversation. Um, that was chewing up so much time that um, we didn't have the opportunity to service correctly our, our longer um, established accounts that uh, you know we work with every day of the week. So we uh, said, well, let's sell some stuff online and see how that happens. And maybe we can direct um, people that are, are purchasing a certain quantity or, or less to our e-commerce site. And that will save a lot of time for our customer service people. And, and it did. It worked really well. Um, and, and that, uh, that online presence has, uh, you know, grown, it's just about doubled every year in the last five years. So it's, it's served a great purpose too. On the other end of it, once these folks, these customers are important as well. And, and once they get buying and growing, then, uh, it's our hope that they will move across, um, and work with our customer service people as they grow. I'd be curious, um, to, to what extent you've noticed that happening already? Have you seen some of that effect of the uh, online store as the gateway drug? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yes, it does. It, I mean, it doesn't happen every day of the week, but uh, to those who are, are growing or trying something out, then, uh, then yeah, for sure. We're uh, and we and we. Um, if you were on our on our site, you would you would see um, messaging and, and links to you know do. You, do you want a larger order? Do you want to customize this product? So on and so forth. So there's opportunities for them to, to jump across. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. I'm curious uh, on the e-commerce side of the equation, um, when you set out to, I mean, part of it is an efficiency gain on the order, uh, 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 kind of just on the customer service side. Correct. Uh, and then some of it is, frankly, a revenue gain. Um, and then you disclose that you kind of stumbled into it, which I, I kind of I, I, I kind of like that admission, frankly, because I think sometimes <laughs> as marketers, we'd be well served to acknowledge sometimes when we just stumble into stuff um, and that this isn't all as scientific as we try to rationalization. Talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering. Um, so, so my guess is that you didn't uh, set up the KPIs at the start and say that we're going to measure how much um, efficiency gain we've gotten back on our customer service and on and on. But have you done that in, in retrospect? Have you, and, and how quickly did you, do you think you kind of paid off that e-com investment? Oh, we, we paid it off in the, in the first six months for sure. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't that expensive. Now we do. Yes. Now we, we look at what products are selling. We, we look at, uh, 
um, you know, we're starting to put some products on on sale. Um, we have a uh, we've added a you know, can I help you and and um, live uh, live chat on the website. So we continue to put some investment into that and to uh, you know and to, and and different products in, in the last last two years uh, we purchased a, a, another company in New Jersey that makes um, um, food service packaging you know coffee cups and takeout packaging so we've added all that to the to the site as well and, and uh, we believe that that it needs a little tweaking still but we believe that that will um, potentially outperform um, the ice cream and, and glass products that are on the site presently very cool. And to what extent, um, as you look at your kind of e-commerce roadmap ahead, um, I, I'd be curious, um, to what extent are you considering um, marketing automation, customer segmentation, more advanced plays there to help grow lifetime value of customer and nurture those relationships? Or are you seeing it as being remaining more transactional? I believe it to be, for the product group that's on there, I think more transactional. Until they make the jump. To yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, there are probably instances where somebody could be actually a reasonably large uh, company buying a standard SKU, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, they not don't need to make the jump. Uh, well, we shall try not to create marketing strategy on the fly during a podcast <laughs> for Stanfan. It wouldn't I'd, be the first time. Oh, I just find it an interesting category because the so the head starts spinning around what's possible. Yeah, exactly. And. I mean that, that your your last point, Marie, around the acquisition of the food service packaging company. I mean the the mergers and acquisitions side has been a large part of uh, of the growth of Stanpak, and I think uh, you mentioned to me when when we initially spoke that uh, you know the ice cream side of the business has driven a lot of that growth, and that only came on stream in two thousand and eight. I think you said it, that's correct. We we did um, some you know ice cream packaging prior to that. But what we found is that we really needed a, a complete line of packaging in order for the the uh, industry to to um, want to to partner with us. So in there there was a large um, you know packaging company that was selling off um, different divisions, and uh, so in two thousand and eight uh, we came to an agreement to to purchase that division. And that uh, tripled the size of our of our company overnight, and that was an interesting uh, time and an interesting challenge. But it it went from um, you know one location in Smithville to um, you know two manufacturing locations um, again in Smithville and and in uh, in Texas. Um, so it really changed the company, and and uh, but we had a, a, a great team. Of uh, managers and leaders that were able to, you know, just dive in and make it work. The cultural transformation there must have been massive. I always find that an interesting dynamic when uh, basically it's a smaller entity taking over the larger one. Yeah, yeah, and and it um, we work very hard um, to try and keep the culture as 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 close as possible. When when you go through a you know, seismic change like that, it, it becomes difficult. But uh, you know, many of the many of the leaders in in the company uh, now, I should mention that um, Steve's the founder's um, two sons are co-presidents, Andrew and and Matt, and uh, many of the so another generation is in is in place, 
and, and, and many of the leaders that they've chosen to work around them, they went to uh, public school and high school with, and just, uh, you know, they had gone away and, and gone to school and worked in other markets and we've, we've brought them back. So there's a, uh, you know, very similar interests in our, in our, in our leadership and, uh, and they understand the culture. So they're able to, uh, um, you know, choose their team members um, to, that will fit. No, I've, I've got to tell you, Murray, I'm, I'm at 20 minutes in. There's no way I'm going to uh, dump this on you as a redirection for podca- the podcast talk. Okay. But, but, I, but I will uh, t- say this. I think it would be fascinating to have a conversation about um, marketing within a, a family-owned uh, manufacturing enterprise. There are a wide number of uh, mid-market B2B manufacturers across North America that are family-owned uh, still to this day. And, Certainly. And, 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 and I, it's, I think it's well-documented uh, some of the succession challenges and things of that nature that are associated with those businesses. But I, I think it's less uh, talked about, basically, um, the, the, life, the lived experience of the marketer and how uh, that kind of environment might change it. Uh, so I, I, I just want to put that bug in your ear. Uh, and and if, if our listeners hear that and think it's an interesting idea, then maybe find a way to tell us that you think it's an interesting idea. And, um, <laughs> and we can see if we can tee this up. My guess is, though, it's just one of the hard things to talk about, too, right? Because, of course, you're inherently talking about the, <laughs> your, your bosses, which is a challenge, of well, well, you know, it, it's um, again Steve, the founder. He, he's uh, he out of you know all the businesses that I know and, and the folks that I that I work with. He spent an, an incredible amount of of time and energy um, in in the succession plan to make sure that it would uh, work properly. Um, you know, the the boys had both been in the business for quite some time. Andrew used to um, be a sales fellow that worked for me. And um, so it, it took a, he took a, at least 10 years, um, not full on, but over 10 years in, in preparation for, for the change. And, uh, and, you know, he's still quite involved in the business and the boys promised not to screw it up too bad. So that was... <laughs> You, that, that you see how funny. I did that passive-aggressive Canadian thing where I say, it, let's not talk about this, and then I stop talking and allow you to speak about it? Right. There you um, go. <laughs> but, uh, nevertheless, I'm curious. Um, you know, As you uh, survey the horizon and you look at, at steering the Stanpak marketing and sales apparatus over the next three to five years, um, I'd be curious about what things you're most excited about what opportunities you think might be around the corner and also um, the icebergs that you're worried about? Well, we've, we've, uh, our growth over the past, I think three to five years, probably the last three for sure, our growth has been 20% per year. So we've, we've had, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes in uh, and there's a lot of investment that is required um, for growth of that magnitude. Um, we're hoping it won't be the same this year, but it, it's uh, um, we still have some aggressive growth on the go. You think you're, as far as an iceberg goes, you think you're going to hit the wall in the markets that you're in. Um, that how much more can you possibly get? Um, we've been fortunate enough that uh, the wall keeps moving further away, so so our growth our growth uh, continues. So investment is a ch- is is a challenge as well because we have to. Uh, um, 
being a privately held company and we're not interested in, in uh, you know, in uh, doing any, anything different, we want to stay private, um, that can uh, limit the amount of investment that's available for, for you know, equipment and, and uh, infrastructure that's needed. On the, on the uh, horizon, uh, we've talked about it briefly at the beginning of, of our conversation that uh, um, the environment of the environment, that it's, it's really changing and, and um, raw material suppliers are working on it. There's, you know, there isn't a week that goes by where we don't see something new that folks would like us to, to dig into and, and take a look at. So we believe there will be a um, potentially a complete shift in, in, our, in our paperboard packaging to materials that aren't available today, um, which will be quite interesting. Um, you know, uh, materials that are completely, um, you know, recyclable. Uh, not so much. Uh, there is a trend towards compostable packaging, but um, I personally don't think it's it's going to go there. It's too hard with a on the on the uh, coffee cup side of things. Unless a whole industry changes, how do you separate two coffee cups? One from McDonald's and one from Starbucks and one from Tim's. Because you just you, a consumer can't tell the difference. It looks like a paper cup. So, so, but if we can change the materials so that it's recyclable, just beside a, a cereal box or, or, you know, a cake box or whatever, then then that will be um, that that'll be a win. But there are presently we're presently working on um, I believe it's eight different uh, options for paperboard packaging. And then on the on the glass side of things. Um, you know, we we've always been plugging you know refillable bottles as as a as the the best method for um, for recyclability because you you know you make a glass container and you use it over and over again as many times as you can and then you crush it up and uh, make it into a new glass bottle again. So that uh, you know there've been many mostly smaller regional and family dairies doing that. And, uh, you know, they're growing, but I, I don't see any reason why we couldn't, you know, why that business isn't going to take off in the next three years as well. You also have uh, a portion of the business that is dedicated to actually creating machines for filling packaging as well. I think you mentioned uh, ice cream filling. Uh, how much of that is uh, kind of going into the thought process along with the packaging itself? Well, for a certain number of our customers, um, they will lease these ice cream. It's called a flexi fill. It's ice cream filling um, equipment, and uh, that just provides um, a dairy with a, a very economical, easy solution to to um, filling products or trying a new size. Um, it, it's it's as it says flex flexi. It's very it's very flexible. Quick changeovers. And uh, so that that's something. It's not for all of our customers. Some of our customers have their own equipment. Some of them have, uh, you know, much larger, faster equipment. Uh, but this is uh, again, it's just a, it's just another tool in in the box that uh, allows our customers to to uh, easily use the products and and you know, it's a good avenue for our, for our ice cream packaging as well. Switching gears back to the environment piece, just briefly, though, I, I do think it's fascinating to consider that, you know, just how uh, uh, that space can be open to massive regulatory change and uplift almost overnight. Um, 
you know, whole markets can change the the landscape that you're operating within can can change with the you know the election of somebody that is a, a for instance that comes to comes to office with a climate change agenda, um, which I, I, you know we're likely to see that in a, in a major market that your organization serves over the next uh, four to eight years. So I I, uh, I I think it's just such an interesting time. Uh, to be uh, to be in your chair. Uh, yes, it yes it is. And you know, up until I'm going to say even last year, um, w- political or or not, however however it it comes to be, you know, the industry has been working on this for for quite some time. But I I, I think it's just um, it's just the right time. I think technology is is developing and and res- well resources are being put to it as well. People say. Oh, maybe people are wondering about the environment. We should start working on this, and uh, I think just about the right amount of time has been spent on it for us to see some real um, innovations, which will be uh, again exciting to uh, to introduce, you know, to get them to market and and to um, see what the what customers want. So, Murray, I'm curious, uh, how long have you been in the role? Well, I've been here quite some time, about 35 years and probably uh, the last, oh, close to 30 of those in the, in the, in the sales and then the marketing side of things. So I'm going to ask for, for some advice as we, uh, as we part ways on today's podcast. I'd be curious uh, what advice you might give a, a, a B2B marketer that just uh, recently joined a manufacturing enterprise maybe in the last six months and is on the front end of that career. What do you wish you uh, knew then that you know now? Well, I don't know if I know a whole lot more now than I did then, but that's a, they, basically, um, you know, just don't be afraid to to listen to ideas and new things that are that are coming along. Just keep your ears to the ground and and explore and and uh, you know share those ideas with uh, um, you know with with the industry and those around you to see, uh, and, you know, just a lot of listening. I think listening is, is, uh, is pretty important. I think that there's a, there's a lot of wisdom in 35 years coming through in the understanding of your first point, which is you say, you don't feel like you know so much, which I think, you know, quite honestly, I think part of uh, gaining experience is the general uh, understanding of how maybe little, you know, for sure. And frankly, increasing a willingness to be wrong or to be steered in alternate directions. Uh, so I think that that's actually uh, great advice for our listeners to take. Try and get your mistakes out of the way first thing in the morning so you can have a positive afternoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Maria, it's been a pleasure to chat with you today. I thank you for sharing the Stampack experience uh, with, uh, with us and our listeners. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All thank the best. You. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>